Um, this morning, 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, verse 40, uh, the Apostle Paul writes these words, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. One thing is clear, God is a God of order. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, in fact, if you just look at creation, it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, there's people who still look at creation and convince there's no God, but it's almost impossible to look at creation and really come away with the conclusion that there is no God. Uh, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, looking at the stars and the planets and the moon and everything, that the way it works and uh, all of nature and how it's all balanced out and one thing off, plays off of the other and the changes of the seasons and it's quite stunning. The, to come to the conclusion that the complexity of life and planetary motion, all this stuff is just the result of a fluke is beyond comprehension. Much harder to believe that than that there was a God involved. In fact, many uh, of the major proponents of uh, some of the bigger voices, proponents of uh, evolutionary thinking uh, are now admitting that they are seeing it's, it's hard to. The more they study, the more they see an intelligent pattern, intelligent design. What's odd is what they are now saying is the possible cause of it. Anybody know what this is? Aliens. <laughs> Aliens. They can't believe in God, but E.T. Oh, no. You know, he, somehow. That makes sense to them. But whatever their weird conclusion they come, what's driving it is this idea that there is just no stinking way that all this stuff happens in its complexity and in its balance by accident. There's just too much uh, order. And God is a God of order. And one of the things that's wonderful about knowing God in your life is it brings a sense of order and stability into your life. Uh, people who don't live with Christ in their lives tend to have very disorderly lives. I mean, they do the best to kind of hold it together, but you know, life's always kind of one you know, hectic uh, situation to another. You would think at some point people would get sick and tired of being sick and tired and, uh, and turn their life to God, but they don't. They, they hang on. But one of the first things you'll notice as a believer in Christ is the peace that comes into your life. And the stability, even in the midst of crazy. I mean, it's not like you still don't have struggles and problems, but it's a whole different ballgame. Uh, there's a peace, the Bible says, that passes all understanding. You can't even begin to describe it other than it's, it's stunningly there, uh, how God can bring this peace and stability into your life. You know, we read this, the account of Jesus with his disciples, and they got in the boat and said, well, let's go over to the other side. And they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. He's sleeping, the Bible says, in the boat. And the storm whips up, and it's freaking these guys out. Now, these are guys who have spent their entire lives on boats. And in this water, they knew the water. They knew life-threatening. And what wasn't life-threatening, they were afraid. They were very afraid. And uh, they woke Jesus up. Like, hello! Don't you see what's going on here? And the Bible says Jesus got up and said, peace be still, and just... Everything calmed down. And that went, whoa, who is this guy? And, uh, but then Jesus turns around and rebukes them. You would think that would be the celebration. Yeah, look what I can do. You know, I just calm everything. That really wasn't the focus. The focus was he yelled at them for freaking out. You're supposed to stay calm. 
You see what God, what we want God to do is to calm the storms in our lives, right? What he wants to do is have you calm in the middle of the storm. To learn that you can go through stuff and he is faithful. He is true. And if you'll truly trust in him and follow his plan for your life, you will find that that is overwhelmingly so. Even when things get crazy, as a believer, there's always a sense of purpose. There's a sense of contentment. There's a sense of the peace of God, even through some of the most difficult times of your life. That's what we celebrate as believers, this glorious peace and order that is in our lives. Now, Satan, on the other hand, is the author of disorder. He loves anarchy and craziness. And uh, he's constantly feeding into the lives of people, trust nobody. And we have a great disrespect in our culture today for any kind of authority. doesn't matter what it is. Uh, nobody respects teachers. Nobody respects police officers. Nobody respects politicians. They're crazy anyway. But uh, nobody respects that. Nobody respects pastors. Nobody respect, respects anybody. Nobody, nobody can tell me what to do. And, uh, but what that does is it creates a greater and greater sense of lawlessness and a greater sense of anarchy. It is not healthy for us. God wants order. He is a God of order. That's why Paul said, let everything be done in an orderly way. God is a God of order. He wants order in your lives. He wants order in your homes. Much of what we try to teach you is how to walk in God's ways and experience that stability and order in your life. Uh, and this has always been true. And there's order God even wants for the church. Uh, now, we look at Acts, the sixth chapter. I'll look at this real quickly this morning. And the first verse this is the New Testament church. This is when things first started uh, having some troubles in the church. I mean, up to this point, they are on a rocket ride. I mean, everything is great. Everything's fabulous. Life is good. They got so many new converts. They're coming in by the thousands into the Christian experience. They're changing the world. The authorities are freaking out. Nobody knows what to do with them. They're all walking in love. Everybody loves everybody. This, the Bible said that they all had everything in common. People would take extra property and stuff that they weren't using. They'd sell it and give all that money to the church. What would they do with it? Anybody who had need would be able to go into that pot and get that need. They would take, you know, they would distribute. They'd, it wasn't just a free-for-all, but uh, legitimate needs were all met because they all loved and cared for one another. That intensely, I mean, it's like, wow. You can't even imagine something like that today because nobody trusts anybody. First thing you'd be wondering is, who's washing the pot? Because <laughs> you know? nobody trusts anybody, right? That's, that's our problem today. And uh, so, but this is the church that isn't, isn't having this problem. It's great. Everybody's loving each other. It's going fabulous. And then we get to chapter 6. Doesn't take long. People are people. And uh, it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, these are Greek Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because the Greek Jews' widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. One of the big things in the New Testament church, and you'll read over and over and over again, is the church absolutely uh, instructed to take care of widows. It was a big deal. Now, we don't see much of that today. Most people who are widows are widowers much later in life. Uh, but this is a time in life. People would die from all kinds of stuff. You get enough tooth infection, you could die. You know, you could... You know, I'd have been dead at nine when my appendix ruptured, you know, back then. There's nothing you could do about it. I mean, a lot of us today wouldn't even be in this room or listen to me right now at your campuses. But for, thank God for the med medical people that keep us going, okay? Well, they didn't have it. They, they, you know, again, God was asking prayers to do a miracle, but still life was life. You could get a, the flu and <laughs> you check out, Jack. That's the end for you. 
And uh, so there were much more present widows and stuff like that in their situation. And they felt a great obligation to help these people, especially because there were, there were no safety nets. You have to remember, there was no such thing as Social Security. There were no, you know, all these funds. None of that stuff was there. A woman without a husband in those days was up a crick. It was really bad for them. And it was in the context of that great need that the church stepped in. But we have a problem. Apparently, one group of widows is getting more preferential treatment than another group of widows. Why that is, we don't know. It doesn't say. Somebody's being a jerk. We don't know what it is. Whoever was taking care of it was overlooking one group, favoring another group. I'm sure it was probably a Hebrew guy <laughs> giving more favor to those widows than, than the Greek widows. And so they start complaining, ah, it's not fair, which is understandable, right? I mean, that's, that's not right. They should be all being taken care of. So they go, the 12 apostles, ah! So the 12 apostles get involved. Look, they gathered all the disciples together and said, look, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, it's hard not to see the sarcasm here. Uh, they weren't asked to wait on tables. No one is asking them to be, you know, busboys or anything of the sort. They put it in rather negative light, I think, because they were slightly irritated by this. Um, what they thought was, I, we shouldn't have to deal with this. We should be waiting on tables. Well, it wasn't a matter of waiting tables. It was about a matter of fundamental fairness and whatever. Anyway, they said, look, we're not going to do that. Instead, he said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give ourselves, our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, why one needed to be full of the spirit and wisdom to wait on tables, I have no idea, or to help with the situation. But that's what they wanted. Some guys you could really trust and respect, I guess. And they'll deal with it. And you'll see that the, uh, some of the major leaders of the church, by and large, were not involved in day-to-day uh, -day operations. At times, they kind of get pulled into it, but they, they didn't really want to be there. And, uh, uh, and they tried to stay away from it, which left room for somebody needs to deal with it. There needs to be order. There needs to be some kind of structure. Now, these seven guys are the first deacons that we see in the church. They were basically just the hands-on guys who made sure things were distributed properly and everything was done in a fair manner, right? You got to have some kind of structure, some kind of order. That was the deacon's original status. And as you go through the Bible, you start seeing other names that are introduced, elders, you know, overseers, bishops, you know, blah, 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 all these names start coming up. And uh, it's not really clear exactly what all the delineations were for these different offices, who did what. Uh, what we do just is get a sense of order. There's a sense of order. And many churches uh, have duplicated this as best as they can to bring a sense of order. Uh, they have bishops and they have deacons and stuff. And, you know, in some churches, deacons are just the real hands-on people. In others, it's a much more lifted up thing where they're ordained as deacons in the church you know and anyway everybody's got their own version of it that's not the point the point is they have structure this is who answers to whom this is how we get things done so that things can be done decently and in order as the bible says now this morning i want to share with you this isn't exactly one of those get up and yeehaw kind of sermons but it's one of those that you got to deal with from time to time so we can better communicate with you guys we don't have annual business meetings thank god uh, but, uh, you know, the congregation all get together and fight and argue about stuff. But uh, from time to time, we need to just communicate. 
And one of the things I want to communicate to you this morning is what is the sense of order at Celebration Church? Over the last six months or so, there's been a, a lot of people who have brought up concerns about well, who, who, you know, what passed. They, they assume that I run around here like Mussolini, you know, and I just give edicts from time to time. You do this and you do that. Nobody can just check my power. And I, you know, they get mad and they're leaving because they don't really talk to me. People who come and talk to me find out that's not the case. And it's actually after, after several discussions like that, I thought, you know, this is on me. I need to communicate to you guys how this thing works. And we're going to do a better job of communicating that and uh, posting some of the stuff on the website so you can go in and check and see how this is done. But let me try and go through for the sake of peace and harmony uh, exactly how the church is structured. Uh, our uh, constitution and bylaws, the new constitution and bylaws uh, that we've adapted, um, it calls for a board of directors. There's a board of directors uh, for the church. Now, these are the people who deal with strictly the secular side of the church, the financial and secular concerns of the church. Property acquisitions, uh, uh, approving budgets, all like, the money and everything is done through this group of people. These board of directors is made up primarily the majority of non-related parties. In other words, no one who's physically related to me or related to me to work for me. For example, Lathan would be a related party, even though we're not actually related because he works for me or that kind of thing. So, you know, it's made up mostly of non-related parties, men and women in the congregation, the different campuses, who make up the board of directors. I haven't asked them yet this, but uh, we're going to see maybe about actually uh, coming up on a webpage so you can see who everybody is and that kind of thing. And uh, I assume they're not hiding from the feds or anything, so we can put that up there. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, so uh, uh, so you can take a look at this and, and see some of the structure. I won't get into names and stuff right now this morning, but hopefully in a few weeks you'll be able to go and see. These are the people. These are the. This is the board of the directors of the organization. Okay, they handle the money and all of those secular concerns. They do not, however, have say over the daily operations of the church or the spiritual direction or concerns of the church, which makes that different. Most churches' board of directors. They have say over everything. The, the board decides everything. They, you know, if you're going to change the music, if you're going to do this, the order of the service, who does this, what, what pastor goes where and everything, is all decided by the board of directors. That is not the case with Celebration Church. They are restricted to the financial and secular concerns of the church for the legal requirements of a board of directors. The group that actually decides the day-to-day -day operation in the spiritual direction of the church is what we call the presbytery. It's where you get the word Presbyterian. It means elders. It's from the New Testament. The pastors of the churches were considered elders back in those days. Our presbytery are the pastors of this church. These are the men who've given their lives to full-time ministry. These are all the campus pastors, uh, Ross, Chad, uh, Pastor Lathan, Bob, all the different guys, and uh, they come here and, uh, and, and serve in the church. They make up the presbytery of the church, uh, and that's where we decide on the day-to-day -day decisions of the church and all the stuff that affects the church. Um, we meet every week, and we generally get together and try to get of one heart and one mind and one accord. We try to do things by unanimous consent is always our goal. You can't always get everybody, but, you know, I doubt that there's ever been much more than one or two that didn't agree, probably only one at any given time. 
Uh, but even then, you know, all, all one guy has to do is say, I, I'm not sure about that, and we'll put it on hold. We, it's a very slow-moving group. <laughs> Much to the consternation of some within the group. But it is what it is, you know? It's just, we do what we do. We're not in a big hurry. We don't need to change things radically. I used to be part of church that used to change everything every five minutes. I hated that. So I'm perfectly comfortable. Just let's take our time till we can all get an agreement on it. When you see us announcing this, that, or the other, I promise you, it is most likely done by unanimous consent of all the pastors of the church, the elders of the church. Uh, and it's not me issuing some edict. I didn't come and I'm the boss around here, and I'm the boss, y'all. Y'all got to do what I say, because I'm the boss. That's not leadership. Leadership isn't going around saying, I'm in charge. If I can't get these guys all, and we're all going in the same direction, then I bite as a leader. Are you hearing me? You need to be able to inspire and direct people. Uh, and that's what I strive to do. Now, at the end of the day, if someone would have to make a call, if it's a divided group, that would be me. We've never been to that point about anything. Uh, and highly doubt we ever would. But if you needed to, you would. We see this also in the book of Acts. We don't have the time to look at it all, but uh, the book of Acts, when they were arguing about, you know, how much of the Old Testament should we live by and stuff like that. One group said this, and the other group said this, and the Bible basically said, and I think it's chapter 11, that they're all arguing. And it finally fell on one guy. There's always got to be one guy there. You have to have a head. If you don't have a head, you've got a headless horseman. And you can't see where you're going. Every organization has, and I am that guy. And I would be the guy to make the final call on any issues. But I promise you, talk to any of our pastors. That's, <laughs> I don't think I've ever had to go there. Um, you know, but uh, certainly nothing of major consequence, I wouldn't think. Uh, so that's how that's done. That's the presbytery of the church. Now, each campus, Stevens Point, Appleton, the west side, the east side, has a group of, uh, we call them the uh, what is it, spiritual advisory group or whatever, it's like that. Uh, these are the guys who would really be the closest thing to deacons. They, these are the hand-on people, the ones who are very involved in the church, they're the ones that leading all the different ministries and stuff like that. We have a group that we get together, and those would be like the deacons. We just don't use the word deacon. I've thought about actually using the word deacon, but there's been some resistance to that. Hence, nobody's moving on it yet, because <laughs> we can't all agree. Uh, and that's just because people get crazy with titles, you know. I'm a deacon of this church, praise God. Oh, shut up, you know, who cares? People, you know, titles. So, that's, so we don't give the titles to try and keep away from people's egos. But for all practical purposes, they are the deacons of the church. These are the guys, they're the hands-on kind of guys, helps us as close as we can. Nobody gets it exactly right like they had there, and we're not even sure exactly what everybody did. But that would be our closest version of a deacon. Uh, so, and they're the ones who speak into the life. We meet with them at every campus to hear what's going on in your campus. Uh, and again, it would be good for us to have a website where you can click on and see who these people are so you can talk to them if you have concerns, so you don't feel like you're out there in the wind blowing around. You could go to these guys, I'm concerned about this, they bring it to us, which we would then bring it to the presbytery, and then we would make a decision. It doesn't ever go to the board unless it has to do uh, with financing, uh, money or some secular legal thing, okay? Um, I am obviously the chief executive officer of the church, the, the lead pastor, the CEO. I have a group of men that I answer to, uh, and again, we were thinking about uh, putting this online. You can see these are pastors of other churches and stuff, highly respected men around the country. 
who I report to. These are the kind of, if you think I'm doing something really out of line, you could appeal to the board of directors. They would then contact them and they could call me on the carpet and smack me upside the head. Or if I was, you know, went out of control and started killing, you know, Lathan or something, they could, uh, uh, <laughs> they could remove me as pastor. All right, so everybody answers to somebody. Nobody runs around unanswerable and unchecked, okay? So we don't have that kind of thing going on. Uh, uh, Bob Augustuson has been, uh, earlier this year, the executive pastor. Before that, it was my son, Phil. Uh, but, uh, and he's the one who does the real hands-on day-to-day operations of the whole organization, kind of leads that up in working along with the Presbytery and all the pastors of the church. Uh, and then we have a, a chief financial officer, Laura Drown. She's not a voting member of the Presbytery, nor is she a, a voting member of the board because she would be a related party. But she's the chief financial officer who handles all the money and can answer all the questions about that. All of this we read about in Hebrews, the 13th chapter. He writes, have confidence in your leaders. And uh, so I've got to own that. We haven't really made clear on how this thing works. And there's been a bit of a crisis of confidence. Not at, the, only conf, the only place that's really been the Eastside campus. For some reason here, there's been this, oh, how are things run? Everybody else, as far as I know, is happy. And uh, there's been a degree of unhappiness on the east side. That's why I'm trying to clear this up. So you can have confidence in your leaders. But when you have confidence in your leaders, it says you need to submit to their authority. That's something we don't want to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. Ah, so you can stick it. That's not biblical. If you get under someone in the spiritual authority, you need to listen to them. You don't get to just check in and out at will, which a lot of people do. And, uh, and we need to just bring a stop to that kind of thing. If you're going to be biblical, you can do whatever you want. It's a free country. But uh, uh, if you're going to really do the biblical example... You submit yourself to leadership and you honor them and respect them. If they're doing something immoral or illegal, that's a different ballgame. But you don't just tell them to stick it because you don't like the pulpit or they change the microphones or, you know, whatever the deal is. Uh, this program's changed. I don't like that singer. That, all this kind of stuff is really highly unbiblical. Uh, and they know it's unbiblical. That's why they've gone to the next level of challenging. Well, how do we know how the church is run? Who's accountable to this one? All they had to do was ask. Uh, so anyway, that's on us. We're just trying to be very, very clear on this is how everything runs, hopefully, so that we'll have more of a sense of order. Now, let me end with this. Uh, one of the big challenges on the East Side campus has been the lack of pastoral input into the campus. It wasn't that many. When I was first here at this church, there were times, was it 12 pastors here? I mean, it was a small army of pastors speaking into the lives of the people of this place. Uh, over the last several years, it dropped down to about six to eight. And then over the last few years, it's dropped down to one. Okay, well, two if you count Keith over there, which I guess we can, he's on the, on the kid's side. But just for the adult side, there were multiple cat pastors. It, uh, even in Stevens Point, you guys over in Point, remember when we were there, there was me, there was Lathan, there was Ross. Even at the camp at Stevens Point, we had three or four pastors there. Because of the downturn in the economy and the tightening of budgets, you just couldn't keep that many pastors in all these places. And we pretty much have one at each location. Much easier to manage in Appleton, Stevens Point, uh, the west side. 
I think it's been a strain here, and I think that's why at this campus we've had the struggles that we've had, the lack of confidence, the inflaming of passions over some of the stupidest things on earth. But we got to fix it. And we have to fix it because this is the main campus, as it is. If this isn't healthy, the whole organization's can't be healthy. So we've decided to make a change, not me as Mussolini making an edict, but all of the presbyteries of the church getting together. We've been praying and talking about this for probably a year and a half. And uh, finally to the point, uh, we've made a change. We are uh, bringing Pastor Bob Gustafson back over to the east side. He will now be the campus pastor here. Pastor Lathan is not being demoted, but being given more to pastoral ministry here in the church, speaking into people's lives and helping you with your counseling issues and spiritual life issues. Uh, certainly he has the, the uh, uh, more uh, stability in years, obviously, you know, he's 103, to uh, <laughs> be able to speak into, into your lives. And it makes more sense to have him do that than one of the really younger pastors, I think. That's one of the decisions that we made. So we're having him do that. Uh, so it, it's nothing really changes here. He'll still be here and part of the services. So if anything, it gets better for you. So it's not a, not a real big deal. The biggest challenge was on the west side this morning when I announced that we were pulling Bob out of there and the groans that came out of the congregation were rather demonstrative. <laughs> they weren't happy. I got out of there. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, no, they're nice. They're, they're great people and stuff, but it hits them the most because they really love Bob. Uh, and you will fall really in love with Bob when you get to see him, as you will, starting next week as the campus pastor here. Um, ideally, in all honesty, budgets being what they were, if that wasn't a hindrance, we'd probably have a couple of more guys. A church this size, and I've been to Lutheran churches this size, I have three or four pastors. You know, for us to have one, and I'll find it just to two, is still a bit of a stretch. I think to do what we really need to do, Ideally, we'd still have a couple of more guys to really help, to speak into your lives and the ministry so that we can be really healthy and strong. We just don't have the money, but uh, that we're going to ideally, even in point, we'd have more. And, and as Appleton grows and stuff like that, uh, we would do more. We're doing the best that we can. Uh, hopefully, at some point, you know, things turn around or the church grows enough that the budgets increase enough back to where they were, where we can have more of this. Anyway, in the meanwhile, what we're doing is we're bringing Bob back to the East Side campus to help here. So now we'll have two adult pastors speaking into the lives of the adults here, which I think will be a help. Pastor Joe Greer um, will now be taking over as campus pastor over on the West Side. And uh, we'll be doing that for a while and see how things go. Again, it is my hope and desire that we would grow and succeed. Kind of hard to grow and succeed when people get leaving because they get mad over piddly nonsense because they feel like they're not being heard. It's easy for me to criticize them, and I do, but they're not here anymore. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's ridiculous to get... To, who leaves over stupid stuff? But that's the America that we live in. It is what it is. And in, all, in their defense, I think they feel they're never heard. They're not really being heard, and they don't understand. And, and hopefully... We can calm some of that and let you know that we do here and, and minister to them so that there'll be peace and order. And uh, our hope, obviously, is that next year will be our best year ever that will continue to grow. And, uh, and uh, the more that we can grow, the more the ministries of the church can grow and the more the staff can grow to uh, speak into the lives of all you wonderful 
people here. So anyway, that's my little message for today. Let me do, and going, going back to what I started with at the beginning though, is if your life is in a place, in your personal life, where there is no order and it seems like things are crazy, chances are you're not following the directions. Come to us. We will be glad to help you and speak into your lives so that you can start getting the kind of order that God, because God is a God of order. And if you're someone who's never truly ever asked Christ into your life, I promise you, chances are your life is way out of order and things get crazy and hopefully at some point you get sick and tired of being sick and tired and that you'll come accept Christ into your life so he can bring this wonderful peace, strength, stability, a sense of purpose into your life that will cease and silence the crazy in which you live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this church. We thank you, Lord God, for the direction and guidance that you lead us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray just a special blessing on everybody as we close out this year, as we go into next year, Lord God, that this would be a fabulous year where the church will grow and stabilize and that will have a great impact in all of our campuses as we strive to bring the good news of God's love to all that hear our voice. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.